to see everybody this morning and uh, glad y'all are able to uh, to gather glad we're able to gather and uh, be together and worship the Lord this morning and uh, a couple things have passed out the draft budget for next uh, next uh, calendar year and next week we'll we'll after the uh, morning search this morning we'll come from Psalm 19 Psalm 19. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for the ways that you've spoken to us, Lord. And this psalm speaks of two ways, uh, through nature, through what you have created, and through your word. And Lord, we're thankful that you're a God that has spoken and, and that continues to speak through your spirit as you help us to understand and, and apply your word to our lives. And so, Lord, as we worship, we pray that we would uh, behold your glory, that we would hear your truth. And Lord, that we would uh, be transformed by your truth and conform to the image of your Son, Jesus. We pray that your Spirit would grant us the grace to worship you in spirit and truth this day. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 432. Through the birth of the church, the church born on the day of Pentecost. And uh, we're going real slow through this. Uh, because I think it's so important to look at the commitments and the characteristics of that early church and to seek to apply God's truth to us, but today uh, uh, a little different. Uh, the text a little different today. I, I believe that we should be committed to the same things this church was committed to. Uh, they were committed to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and prayers. Last week we talked about the first characteristic, the characteristics of fear and reverence. Uh, and uh, as we go through this text, we see other characteristics. It's a sharing church, a worshiping church, an evangelizing church, a happy church, a church with a good reputation, and a church that is growing. All things that we, uh, that we aspire to and that we ought to apply to our, our, our church and seek to, uh, to have those same characteristics as the church. But today we're going to look at verse 43 and talk about the power, the power of the exploding church. 
Again, I'll read verses 40 through 47 as I've done several weeks to uh, set it in its context, but I want to focus today on the second part of verse 43, where it says many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And we'll talk about the power of that exploding church and look at its application for today. And so uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, at the conclusion of his Pentecost sermon, we're told, and with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord God, again, we stand before your word recognizing that it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is perfect, it is complete, it is sufficient, it is profitable, it is, it is living and active. And so, Lord, we stand before your inerrant, infallible word in humility, recognizing that while it is perfect, our understanding of it is not. And Lord, we need your spirit to help us, to lead us into truth and to help us understand the truth, believe the truth, and apply the truth to our lives, Lord. And, and God, we want to be a New Testament church. Lord, we want to be a church that is exploding, that is growing, that is blessed by you. And Lord, we want to learn from this text and apply the truth to our lives and to our church. And, uh, and we ask that your spirit would grant us grace as we seek to know you better and do that which is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we've been looking at this church and we're going again very slow, looking at the, the commitments of the church, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, they shared life together, they, they observed the Lord's Supper together, they prayed together, they came together and they prayed together and as they scattered they prayed for each other, they prayed with one another and for one another. And we talked last week about reverence and fear. And then today we come to the second part of verse 43, and we see many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is, the, uh, is that something that we should continue to expect, that there would be gifted individuals or gifted groups of individuals that continually perform signs and wonders? We, 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 we recognize we need to be committed to those things, some things. We recognize we need to have some of these characteristics. But what about those signs and wonders. Is that something that we are to expect today? Or is this a descriptive passage describing what happened in the first century, but not prescribing what is to be normal for the church at all times and all places? And so is this something that we should continue to expect? You know, I once heard one preacher talking, and, and we'll, we're going to see signs and wonders that were done through the apostle as we go through the books of Acts. And I think it's very important that we understand uh, what was happening then, and, and then what should be normal for the church today. I once heard a preacher uh, talking about a pastor, and using Peter's words in, uh, in, in chapter 3, 
that we'll, we'll study in some weeks to come. Um, a pastor was, was showing a guest through his church. And this church had a beautiful, beautiful, awesome building. Very well constructed and had all the finest things. And it was very nicely decorated and, and just was, uh, was, was just a display of, of wealth. And as the pastor was showing his guests through the, through the church, he said to him, you know, we can no longer say silver and gold have we none. And the guest said, that's correct. And we also can't say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Indicating that perhaps this guest thought that that's something that should be normative for the church, that there should be, there should be signs and wonders in the church. And if we were just humble enough or obedient enough, God would show His grace by doing signs and wonders in our midst, just like He did during the age of the era of the apostles. And so the question today is, that's something that we should expect that God would regularly perform signs and wonders to gifted individuals or gifted group of individuals in the church as He did in the book of Acts. Now let me say, I 100% completely, totally believe that God still does miracles. That God works outside the natural. That God works supernaturally to provide for His people. That God supernaturally brings healing to people. That God works through the medical sciences to bring healing. He works through miraculous grace to bring healing. He does miracles. He acts supernaturally in response to the prayers of His people. As we talked about praying a few weeks ago, God certainly does the supernatural. God does the miraculous. God heals His people through miraculous means and through, and through uh, the medical sciences. And God miraculously provides for His people and sustains their life through providence. And so, so when I talk about signs and wonders, I am not saying that God does not still do miracles and God still does not heal. What I am saying is that we probably should not expect God to do exactly what He did through the apostles, through gifted individuals in the way that is described in the book of Acts. I believe that the signs and wonders in Acts are descriptive, describing what happened in that era, but are not prescriptive for all churches at all places at all times. And so, uh, and let me, let me kind of tell you why I believe that, why I've come to believe that from the text. We see that, uh, that in verse 43 that, Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And, and part of that, we talked last week about fear coming upon people. And so God was showing His power. He was showing His authority. And because of that, there was great fear. There was fear among the people in the church and there was fear on the people outside of the church because of God's supernatural power. And the apostles, He was regularly doing wonders and signs through the apostles. Now we have already seen this word, these words, wonders and signs, as we've gone through Acts chapter 2, Peter uses them about Jesus in verse 22. We remember that uh, Jesus, uh, Peter is preaching his Pentecost sermon. He said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you also know. So here we see the purpose of the signs and wonders that Jesus did, it was to give testimony of who God was, who Jesus was. 
God attested Jesus to the people through wonders and signs. And we talked about the fact that wonders are those things that make people go, wow, (laughs) they are wonderful works. They are amazing works. Things that go outside of the natural. Things that are not expected but occur. They are wonderful, miraculous works where God works outside of the laws of nature to bring about His purpose and His plan. And the word signs means it is pointing to something else. It's pointing beyond itself to a greater reality. And so the things that Jesus did were signs showing His authority, showing that He was in fact from God and that He was in fact the Christ. God attested Jesus to them through miracles, wonders, and signs. The signs that Jesus did pointed to His authority, that He was God, that He was from God, and He was the one that God had anointed to bring salvation to all who believe. And so the signs had a purpose beyond themselves to point to the spiritual truth. And the same thing is true by the signs and wonders done through the apostles. They pointed to a reality beyond themselves. They they gave attention to the things that the apostles were saying and gave authority and validation to their message. And so, uh, so, so we see the purpose of the signs and wonders was to point to a reality beyond themselves. The second thing we see in verse 43, notice that these signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Through the apostles. Now how many people are in the church right now? There's 3,120 members of that church. There were 120 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came, and then 3,000 were added to them that day. So there's 3,120 members of that church. How many people are doing signs and wonders? Twelve. The apostles. Just the apostles. It doesn't say that all the members were doing signs and wonders, that God was doing signs and wonders through all of the members, through all 3,120 of them, but He was doing them through the apostles. And we talked about the apostles and the office of apostleship in chapter 1 when we looked at the replacement of Judas. You remember that the apostles, there were specific qualifications for an apostle. An apostle was to have been with the twelve the whole time that Jesus went in and out among them from the baptism of John until his ascension. The apostle had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. And so when, when uh, Judas was replaced, Matthias was selected, meeting those qualifications for an apostle. And then we know, as we read through the New Testament, we compare Scripture with Scripture, that there was another apostle, Paul. And Paul became an eyewitness of the resurrection on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him. And he was personally commissioned by Jesus. And Paul even says that he was an apostle, but he was the least of the apostles because he was born out of due time. He did not meet those qualifications of being with them from the baptism of John till he was taken up, but he became an eyewitness of the resurrection on the road to Damascus, and he was the last of the apostles uh, as one born out of due time, the least of the apostles, the apostles to the Gentile. And so the the office of apostleship, and we know that when James, so, so when Judas betrayed Jesus, he was replaced by Matthias. But in Acts chapter 12, James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, is going to be put to the sword by Herod. And we'll notice that the church did not replace James. 
James was not replaced. The office of apostle is not something that is to be continued in the church. It was for a specific time and a specific place and a specific reason for the laying of the foundation of the church. The office of the apostles is unique. And so the age of the apostles in the church is unique in the church. The apostles are actually bringing new revelation. They are bringing new truth. They have no New Testament. They don't have the full interpretation of the Old Testament. As we saw Peter going through and taking these Old Testament texts and applying them to that situation. And so the apostles, the apostles were there to to, to teach who Jesus was and what Jesus accomplished. The the apostles were bringing new revelation from God about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it was unique in the time of the church. And by time that they had brought their new revelation and they wrote it down, all of the New Testament is written by the apostles of their close associates. And once the New Testament was written, there is no more revelation. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the last chapter, says not a word is to be added or taken away from this book. We are not to look for more revelation. We are not to look for more words from God. God has spoken through the apostles. Their doctrine has been recorded for us in the New Testament. And the canon is closed. We are not to look for additional books. We are not to look for more revelation from God. We are not to look for new truth. We are not to add anything or take anything away from this book. And so the apostles were bringing the doctrine before the writing of the New Testament. And because they were bringing new revelation, God did signs and wonders through them to validate the message that they were preaching just as Jesus taught with authority, and then He demonstrated that authority through signs and wonders, just as God attested to who Jesus was through the signs and wonders. The same thing is true of the apostles. They taught what they had heard from Jesus. They taught what the Holy Spirit brought to their remembrance. They taught the new revelation that the Holy Spirit was giving them about who Jesus was and how His church was to be established. They taught that under the authority of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, God gave signs and wonders through them, to draw attention to that message that we'll see in chapter 3, to give authority to that message that they were preaching to show that their message was coming from God, and third, to validate those messengers. These apostles are being used by God to write the doctrine that we find in the New Testament to deliver that doctrine. And the signs and wonders were given to validate them and to validate their message. And so God did signs and wonders through the apostles to validate the message that they were bringing. And we see this all through the Bible. You know, if you read through your Bible from beginning to end, it seems like that there are miracles, signs, and wonders happening all the way th- all through the Bible. It seems like that there are these signs and wonders just happening all the time. But when you think about it historically... And you think about the fact that the Bible contains about 4,000 years of human history. (laughs) The Bible's written from uh, creation until uh, the establishment of the churches. So there's about 4,000 years of human history. 
And when you read the Bible, you will see that there are really only three periods in that 4,000 years of history where God did signs and wonders through an individual or a group of individuals. The miracles, the signs and wonders done through an individual are grouped into three different time periods, each of them lasting less than 100 years. And so there is the time of Moses. God did signs and wonders through Moses. He was given the sign of the serpent and the sign of leprosy, the ten plagues, the miraculous works that God did in the wilderness as He was leading His people out of Egypt into the promised land. Time of Moses, about 40 years. And then there's Elijah and Elisha, the time of the prophets. Elijah and Elisha, a period of about uh, uh, 30 to 60 years during the ministry of those two prophets. And then there's the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles, a period of about 30 to 40 years. And so in all of 4,000 years of history, there's really only three periods, very short periods, that God did signs and wonders through a specific individual. Now, you know, again, God does miracles every day. It is miraculous that God is holding the universe together by the power of His Word. That is a supernatural, miraculous act of God. Every time somebody's healed, that's a miraculous work of God. Every time a sinner is converted, that's a miraculous work of God. God still does miracles, but what I'm talking about is doing miracles through a specific individual or group of individuals specifically gifted to bring signs and wonders. And so in the Scripture, we see three periods. Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, and Jesus and the Apostles. And what is happening during all three of these periods? The Bible is being written. Those three periods are all times where God is giving new revelation. Moses is writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God is giving new revelation, and God is validating the revelation that Moses is writing, and validating his message messenger, Moses, by doing signs and wonders, attesting Moses through signs and wonders, just as he did Jesus. Moses is writing scripture, he's getting new revelation, and God is validating and drawing attention to that new revelation by signs and wonders through the author, the human author. All right, what's happening during the time of Elijah and Elisha? The prophets. And what are the prophets doing? Writing the, old, the rest of the Old Testament. God is giving new revelation. He's giving new revelation to the prophets. And He is drawing attention to that revelation and giving validation to the message and the messengers through signs and wonders. The signs and wonders that Elijah and Elisha did up to and including raising the dead. And what's happening during the time of Jesus and the apostles? The Bible's being written. God is giving new revelation. He is giving new truth. And He's validating that truth, drawing attention to that truth, and validating the messengers through doing signs and wonders through Jesus and through the apostles. And so what does that mean for us today? God's not giving new revelation. There is nothing to be added to this book. We are not to be looking for a new word from God. And so we are not to be looking for a messenger authenticating new revelation through signs and wonders. 
God did that through the apostles for a specific purpose in a specific time. And when the apostles died, the office of apostle died out, and there was no longer any revelation, and so there was no longer a need for signs and wonders to be done through a gifted individual or group of individuals. And so, while God still does miracles, He does not still do it in the same way and for the same purpose of validating new revelation because there is no new revelation. And so in this New Testament church, God was doing signs and wonders to draw attention to His truth, to validate His truth, and to validate the messengers, the speakers of His truth. And now that we have the New Testament, now that we have the doctrine of the apostles written down for us, we test the authority and the truthfulness of a messenger, not if they are able to do signs and wonders, but if their teaching confirms and conforms to what the apostles have said and what has been written in the Bible. And so today, we are not to be looking for a messenger doing signs and wonders, bringing new revelation, bringing new truth from God. That was the era of the apostles, and once the foundation was laid, once the Bible was complete, there is no longer a need for those miraculous gifts. God still does miracles, but not through gifted individuals. And we test the authority of a message, not by if they do signs and wonders, but if their message conforms to the Scripture. So, Benny Hinn is a false prophet. And so, we must be on guard. We must not be looking for a new word from God. And we must not be deceived if someone comes with the claiming to be able to do signs and wonders and bringing new truth, a new word from God. And Jesus, in fact, warns against this in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, He says, False Christ and false prophets will rise. In the last days, false Christ and false prophets will arise. And they will show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the elect. And so do not be deceived if someone comes saying they are doing signs and wonders and bringing a new authoritative word from God. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be seeking signs and wonders. But test the authority of a messenger by comparing what he says with what has been written. And so... I believe that this is a descriptive passage. That this is a passage describing what happened, but not prescribing it to be normal for all churches at all places at all times. This was specific to the era of the apostles. And we are not to expect signs and wonders to be done in the church in the same way that they were during the, uh, the New Testament era, during the age, the era of the apostles as the foundation was being laid. And, you know, we talked about healing God, answering prayers in James when we were, we were in James chapter 5, and all that is still true. But we should not look for miraculous gifts through an individual to confirm or, con- or to authenticate 
a new word, a new revelation from God because God has spoken. The canon is complete. Nothing is to be answered. And we are waiting for the next event in redemptive history when Jesus comes again to gather His church and, and bring His kingdom to fulfillment. And there will be no revelation on the level of Scripture until that event occurs. So don't be looking for signs and wonders. So how do we, how do we apply this? So we, we don't look for signs and wonders, but you know what? The greatest miracle, the greatest wonder imaginable is when God takes a sinner, a, a rebel, one who has rebelled against God and is God's enemy. He takes that sinner and He transforms that sinner into a beloved child. The greatest miracle that can possibly be performed is the miracle of God's grace bringing salvation to a lost sinner. And that miracle occurs as God pours out His grace and He gives new life and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that sinner sees His helplessness and His hopelessness. And he cries out to God for mercy and grace. And he puts his trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. What Jesus accomplished on the cross and His, his resurrection and His ever-living to make intercession and cry out for mercy and grace. God transforms sinners by His grace through faith into His children. That's the greatest miracle of all. And God is still in the business of doing miracles and saving sinners and calling His people to Himself. And so as we think about this text, the first thing is, have you been a recipient of that great miracle? New life. New life by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, do you believe that you cannot save yourself, but in God's great love, Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against all who come to Him in repentance and faith, and God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. Have you turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus? Have you been born again? That's the greatest miracle of all. And God is still in the business of doing that miracle and saving all who come to Him in repentance and faith. The second application is we shouldn't be looking for a new word from God. Don't be deceived by one coming, claiming to do signs and wonders and bringing new revelation, new truth from God. Don't be deceived by those false Christs and false prophets who do many great signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. Don't be deceived. Don't be looking for signs and wonders and don't be looking for a new word from God. If you want God to speak to you, read the Bible. And if you want God to speak to you in an audible voice, read it out loud or have someone read it to you. We have God's complete, infallible, inerrant word. Do not look for new revelation. Do not look for new truth. God has spoken and not one word is to be added or taken away from this book. Don't be deceived. Don't be looking for a new word. Believe that the Bible is sufficient. It is authoritative. And we test the authority of a preacher or a teacher by comparing it with what we have written, not if they can do signs and wonders. And the third application is that 
Even though this is a descriptive passage describing what happened at one place at one time, one era of the church, not prescribing it for the rest of the church, we also know from the Scripture that Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And, and, and maybe the way God is bringing the message then was different because it was not written down. And so it was coming through the apostles and through those New Testament prophets. But once it was written, there was no longer a need for signs and wonders. And so God, God changed the way that He acts in His church when they had the written Word. No longer bringing revelation. They had the the self-authenticating Word of God. And so how that changed, Jesus Christ will never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the same Jesus who calmed the wind and the waves with the Word can can bring comfort to our stormy, troubled souls with His Word. The same Jesus who wept at the tomb of Lazarus shares in our weakness and cares about us and sympathizes with our weakness and with our need. The same Jesus who while He was hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them. The same Jesus intercedes and advocates for His children when they sin and brings forgiveness and cleansing. The same Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead ever lives to intercede for His people and to provide provision for their every need, both now and forever. And we know that from our New Testaments. We know that from the Bible. Because God brought new revelation through the apostles, those men who were, were with Jesus for three years. And the Holy Spirit brought to the remembrance what Jesus said to them. And the Holy Spirit led them into truth and empowered them to authoritatively, accurately, without error, to record every word that God wants us to have for our salvation and for our sanctification. This Word is complete and it is sufficient that we might find salvation in Jesus and that we might be sanctified and that we might be conformed to His image. We have no need to look for an additional Word and we need to guard against being deceived by one who comes claiming to do signs and wonders. God's Word is sufficient. God's Word is complete. And we have everything we need to know for life and godliness, for salvation, for sanctification, right here in the Bible, to which no word is to be added, and no word is to be taken away. Let's pray together. Lord God, we again, once again stand humbly before Your Word, Lord, and we look at a passage that, uh, about which there are a truth, about which there's some controversy. And God, we pray that You 
Help us understand rightly. And Lord, that you grant us confidence in your word and that we would believe in its sufficiency and its perfection. And we would not feel like we need an additional word from you. But Lord, we pray that you would make us students of your word and help us to search it diligently. And Lord, then help us to test teachers and preachers, not by what they do, but by comparing what they say by what you have already said. Help us test those who claim to speak from you. Not looking for signs and wonders, but comparing it with the doctrine of the apostles written for us in the Bible. And Lord, we pray that you help us to find comfort and safety and rest in Christ Jesus. We thank you that this Bible reveals to us Jesus Christ, who shared in our weakness, who was a sympathetic high priest, who was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins, and whoever lives to make intercession for us and to be our advocate when we sin. May we find victory and rest and comfort in Jesus Christ alone. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to encourage you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to Him. Keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.